one for a beer? It's a bit early, but I'm game this morning. This is Fiorella de Maria bringing you the early show all the way from a chilly autumnal England. Should I say anything on the programme that strikes a chord, interests you, or heaven help me, causes you to choke on your abstemious Friday breakfast? Please let me know. As always, our call-in telephone number is 844-527-8723. That's 844-527-8723. And the Crusader Stadium chat room is open for your commentary as well at crusadechannel.com forward slash chat. Good morning, everyone signing into the chat room. Good morning, Denise. We were wondering what had happened to you. It was just the it was just the Wi-Fi misbehaving. As Maggie says, as long as you and Doodlebug are fine, we were just worried about you. And of course, very busy schedule of appointments before the knee replacement two weeks from today. We're all praying for a safe and successful operation for you, Denise. Jacqueline is telling us about her All Saints celebration at school today. Games begin at 2. Students will dress up as their chosen saint at 4.30 and will present their saints to the high school judges. Then a group picture, procession into mass at 7.30. We have the trunk contest where the families decorate their trunks in honour of a saint. That makes me think of like families riding in on an elephant and decorating the trunk. Trunk is what we call the boot, isn't it, of the car? Yeah. Uh, long day for me. I'll not be home until way after dark, so scrambling to prepare the farm animals since I won't be home for evening chores. That sounds like so much fun. We used to have saints and sinners parties uh, when I was a student at the Catholic chaplaincy and people were really inventive when it came to well both saints and sinners um, I remember someone coming as Mother Teresa I came as a pillar of salt one year um, I was a bit short on time so I just dressed all in white uh, wrapped my head in white kitchen towel and sprinkled glitter all over myself um, that sort of counted Lot's wife well, a salutary lesson, so to speak. Um, though some of the sinners had some pretty, pretty good costumes as well. Now, I think it's just a wonderful way of celebrating our amazing heritage. That's just beautiful. And um, I'm trying to work out how how do you decorate the trunk of your the trunk of your car? Do you turn it into a little grotto or something? Um, but you're going to have a very yes, Denise. I'm saying yes. Wow, Jacqueline, that's a lot. You are going to have a very long day. It'll be wonderful, but you are going to be shattered by the end. So I hope it is a wonderful success. I'm sure it will be a beautiful day all round. It's coming up to my daughter's birthday. Her birthday is actually on All Saints. Um, and uh, as I point out every year, we could have called her after any saint in the calendar. So we called her after Christmas instead. American Beer Day. I have no idea what American beer tastes like. Can somebody help me here? What makes American beer different to, say, European beer or British beer or German beer or Aussie beer? What does American beer taste like? Is it even alcoholic? Um, is it something that sort of appeared? I'm, I'm thinking of root beer, aren't I, which is something completely different. Yes. Ah, yes, uh, Jacqueline's saying, yes, grottos. I think that's just lovely, little grottos in your car. Um, I'm not a big beer drinker myself. I only really drink Guinness, which I think is technically a stout rather than a beer, and Shandy, uh, which is a very girly drink. No no man, no real man would ever admit to drinking Shandy. It's uh, I don't know if you do Shandy in the States. It's half beer, half lemonade. 
so it's um it's a it's a slightly sweeter, milder drink, um, but it's the sort of thing where you don't ever ask a man to order a shandy in a pub ever. But my favourite drink of all is cider, a good West Country cider. And that's very, very alcoholic, by the way. So someone instruct me about American beer. What are the, what are the big brands? What are the big brands of American beer? Um, oh, Jacqueline's saying the students have been presenting their saints in front of the entire school all month, three per day. Our almost five-year-old grandson did an amazing job in front of 75 other students. So when they present their saints, are they dressed up and they talk about their saints? Is that the whole, whole thing, sort of educating the whole school? I just think that is such a good idea. Why don't all Catholic schools do that? It's such a really, really good idea. I was trying to find really nice things that happened on this day in history, only to discover that the 27th of October was a really bad day. It was a really bad day in history. I can't think of many really good things that happened. Um, it was on this day in 1066 that William the Conqueror and his army of Norman conquerors set sail from the mouth of the Somme River in Picardy, beginning their journey to conquer England. This was not a good moment in English history. The, the Norman conquests were not a good thing. I'm of the opinion that it would have been infinitely better if Harold Godwine had continued as king without that horrible usurper, William I. Harold was a great man and would have been a great king, very devout, very good leader. A shame. He, he's one of those, you know, the finest, the finest monarch the country never really had. So, yes, I'm not finding very many things to celebrate today. The first use of the name Jack the Ripper in 1888. No, let's just scoot past that, you know. Um, oh, Jacqueline's saying, yes, they, so they present and they make a poster as well. No, really, really good idea. Um, Denise, um, so just, I've got to ask, did anyone go as Maximilian Colby? Please tell me someone went as Maximilian Colby. Um, Denise saying, never acquired a taste for beer. I don't know. It's, it's just not my kind of thing. The only time I've ever had a real taste for beer, and this was so embarrassing, my husband actually bought this online rather than going to the shop to get it, was during one of my pregnancies, I got a massive craving for beer. I think it's because of the, the bitter taste when you're feeling really, really sick. And because I was struggling to keep fluids down, anything I could drink, you know, we tried to get hold of. So, my husband bought crates of non-alcoholic beer, um, non-alcoholic beer, and my husband went, you know, I'm a, I'm a northerner, I'm a Lancashire man, non-alcoholic beer is just not really allowed in the house, I'm just making an exception because you're pregnant. Oh, no one, oh, Jacqueline said, no one came as Maximilian Colby this year. Well, maybe my book will inspire everyone and someone will come as Maximilian Colby next year. But there are so many truly wonderful saints. Let's face it, we are, we are spoilt for choice. Yesterday in history, however, Sir Francis Drake returned to Plymouth in 1580. He was the first British navigator to circumnavigate the Earth. I have actually been to the replica of his ship, the Golden Hind. And you know what is really scary? When you think ship, you think something huge. The Golden Hind is a tiny vessel compared with modern ships. It is so small. It's terrifying to consider that a group of sailors went to sea in something that fragile and came back. I suppose a lot of them didn't come back, but the fact that it was even possible to circumnavigate the globe in a vessel that small. I was walking around thinking this is tiny and this is really claustrophobic and I bet the seasickness must have been terrible. 
the best thing about that particular trip going around the replica of the Golden Hind was that some joker had chained a skeleton in the brig and my auntie Joanna nearly had a heart attack which she went around the corner and there it was lurching at her and there was this nah! um, and it, it was very funny though uh, only when she'd got out onto the deck and calmed down of course uh Yesterday, in 1973, Concord made its first flight across the Atlantic. And on this day in 1953, sugar rationing ended in England. Would you believe that Britain had a further eight years of sugar rationing after the ending of the Second World War? I think today should be Sugar Day. It should definitely be National Sugar Day. Because I just cannot imagine a world without little bags of sugar for me to make lots and lots of lovely, tasty treats. It just feels like an awful affront that it should even have ever happened. But then, let's face it, considerably more outrageously awful things happened during the war than a shortage of sugar. Now, I am just sidling my way towards this awkward subject um, once we've moved past beer and... American beer and why it's different to all the rest and why Guinness is infinitely superior. The other day, I had a bit of a surprise. I was talking to a very nice person. Um, and oh, no, oh, sorry. Hang on a second. Um, Denise, I'm saying I wish I lived close enough to a school like yours, Jacqueline, but it'll be a few years yet before Doodlebug's behavior would allow him to be in school. I'm still planning to homeschool throughout. Yeah, that's great. I mean, frankly, if if we lived close to a school like yours, Jacqueline, I would be very tempted to uh, ditch homeschooling for that because it just it sounds it sounds so incredible. The King Dude is giving me answers. One, American beer is either mass-produced, tasteless sink water, or is what you would call IPA, but wouldn't recognise because punk marijuana addicted beer makers put so much hops in the beer it's like drinking malted pine tar. Wow. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm curious because the whole meaning of the word beer seems to vary so much from country to country. British beer tastes so different to, say, French beer and so different. Um, you'd hardly know they were the same drinks. Maltese beer, believe it or not, is really good, but that's only because uh, the breweries were all established by the British because obviously when we were a British colony, you had lots of Brits out there, particularly sailors and soldiers who wanted beer. So Farsons and Chisk and all this, they set up breweries and Maltese beer is still pretty good. You know, the tourists like it. What is this? Oh, no, Jacqueline said, we like our little local brewery. Well, there's nothing to beat, you know, your, your local small brewery. Artisan beer is quite in over here at the moment. Jacqueline, what am I looking at? Oh, these are the baby bunnies. These are the baby bunnies. They are so sweet. Oh, that is really nice. Thank you. There's a, you've got to sign into the chat room. There's a picture of baby bunnies. I'm pretty sure those are baby bunnies. Anyway, yes, the other day I was having a chat with a, um, a friend who um, works in the arts. And she said to me, and she's white, um, and she said to me, do you consider yourself a person of colour? Sorry, excuse me. Yes, do you consider, because you see, you are a person of colour, but I, I'm just wondering, you've never described yourself or identified in that way. And I was completely thrown by this. And I, I said to her, well, when I was a child, we didn't even use terms like that. Are you a person of colour and things like that? Because identity politics hadn't taken over yet. And if anyone had 
sought to give me a name like that, they would have been being racist. It would have been to try to mark me out as different from everyone else. And that's not what you want as a child or even really as an adult. When you're an immigrant in a country, you kind of just want to belong and to fit in. So if somebody said to me, oh, you're, you're a person of color or whatever the equivalent term was at the time, I would probably have been a bit insulted. But now it's a kind of badge of honor. And I do find this very odd because I think... I hadn't been asked that question, you see, and obviously I do talk about identity politics and what I think is wrong with it, but it was the first time someone was trying in the nicest possible way to put me into a category. And I just thought, this is so wrong. This would have been regarded as disgraceful 30 years ago. Why on earth are we doing this? And my attention was drawn to an article. My husband found it, in fact, and said, this is going to make you really cross. Um, that sort of an article. And it was um, about woke publishing, about the way a lot of these messages have now been completely embraced by publishers. And there was a, a submission guidelines on a children's, it's particularly children's publishers seem to have gone very this way. And it was, um, it was saying, um, for example, we're not interested in stories about white, able-bodied Second World War evacuees, but would welcome that story from a disabled LGBTQ plus or BIPOC black, indigenous or people of colour perspective. Now, there's kind of a problem with this, as it is drawn attention to in the article, that... Um, how likely is it that, you know, a blue-haired non-binary would have stepped nervously off a train at a remote rural station in 1940? Um, everything that's being talked about here just makes no sense at all. Um, and the term indigenous doesn't really make any sense in Britain because we don't have sort of First Nations people or in indige indigenous people because England wasn't settled in quite the same way. Obviously, you had waves of immigrants and you had you know, the, the Romans and the Normans and all of the rest, but it's not quite the same thing. I would be hard pressed to tell you what on earth an indigenous person is in Britain. Very odd category. And what was bizarre was that there were a number of things about this that was bizarre. I mean, it's almost... Um, it's, it almost is, is so easy to take down. But further on in the website, it says, if your book is about an identity that is not yours, we will not be a good fit. Now, um, there's a little issue here that is pretty glaringly obvious if you are an author. You write about people who are different to you all the time. It's called fiction. If you only wrote about your own people... It would be really boring. The majority of characters I have created and probably will create are from different ethnicities to me. I have characters from, with all sorts of national backgrounds. I have characters with disabilities I do not have. I have characters who have had very, very different life experiences to me. It's the only way it is possible to write fiction. It's a really bizarre concept. It's like saying, if your book is about, if your book is a work of fiction, you're not a good fit for a fiction publisher. It makes no sense. 
It is 23 minutes past the hour. You are listening to The Early Show with your hostess, Fiorella de Maria, on a very, very cold autumn day. If you have missed the segment so far, never fear. You can get the whole of The Early Show as a podcast. Same day from crusademax.com. We're talking today about American Beer Day. Um, I still haven't been given any American brands that I should have heard of. Um, American Beer Day and how awful it is, apparently. Um, sink water, I think the King Dude described it as. Is anyone out there a fan of American beer? Didn't you have a whole lot of Germans go over to the States before, during and after the two world wars, bringing their breweries with them? You know, didn't that happen? You must have some German German beer makers out there. Um, we have also been talking about uh, various things that did and didn't happen in history and the weirdness of being asked for the first time, are you a person of colour? The King Dude is saying Maggie and I's favourite American beer is, a, is, is that an acronym? Is it Abita or A-B-I-T-A beer? The brewery is 20 minutes from our home. Okay. Is it, uh, is it Abita? Okay. Abita. Okay. Oh, yes, I've been given the pronunciation guide. Thank you. Um, I don't know. I, I think um, I think beer and me are never completely going to get on somehow. I, I, it's it's one of those... Okay, this is where a little bit of snobbery comes out. I will admit to this now. When I was a child, my parents did not drink beer and we never went anywhere near a pub because for my parents, a pub was where, you know, English sailors went and got into punch-ups and things like that. You know, during... Um, during the, the colonial period, when my parents were growing up, you know, pubs weren't at all a part of Maltese culture. So they were built specifically for the British um, and, they, and specifically for British servicemen. So, you know, they were very, very aggressively male establishments. Ladies did not go into pubs. No, 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 you, did, you didn't. For, for your own safety, probably, but also just it was not regarded as, as where a nice lady would go. Only a certain kind of female would enter a pub, if you get my meaning. And yes, they did get very rowdy. You know, you can imagine lads out, you know, where, um, when their ships docked in harbour, you know, having five or ten beers and then getting into arguments. Um, so it was just not part of their world at all. So all the time I was growing up, I never entered a pub. And I only really got introduced to pubs when I met my future husband, because his family are from Lancashire, and it's very much a beer drinking culture. And for years, though, and in fact, even to this day, to some extent, I found it very difficult to go up to the bar to order a drink, because it was so inculcated into me that women don't go to bars, women do not order you know, order pints from bars. You just you don't do it. You don't go into pubs. So even though I do like to go for a, a quick, quiet drink sometimes at our local pub, it's still a little alien to me as an idea. Um, and I think it's just one of those things. You know, you pick up these you pick up these vibes very young. Uh, but pubs these days, I mean, they're not they're not like the taverns of old, which could be really rough. I mean, it depends where you go. Some pubs are very smart and very family friendly. They serve food and things like that. Obviously, you're not allowed up to the, the bar if you're under 18. But, you know, children are usually allowed in uh, to eat and things like that. There are others in certain areas which you don't go to. There was a squaddy pub, a soldier's pub just down the road from where I grew up which you just didn't go to, particularly on a Friday or Saturday night. 
No. Uh, I don't know how many times my parents called the police because some massive brawl had started in the pave- on the pavement outside. Um, you, you picked your pub and you still do pick your pub, but they could still be quite nice. Um, oh, here we go. Beer of the month. Good grief. There's a lot of, there's a lot of beer here. Um, Dr. Torres is saying, but it ain't ooh bitter. Dr. King due to a fluffer nutter. That's experimental beer of the month. Is this peanut? Is this peanut flavored beer? I don't know. No, no, I'm with you on this one, Maggie. I'm not into all these weird flavored beers. No, thank you very much. We also have a PB and J beer. And the King Dude has just put a picture of a party pack. I can't even see amber, purple, haze, strawberry lager. This is disgusting. So, no, I don't know about this at all. Um, Dr. Tora is saying, I like nutter butter. Okay, so am I right in thinking this is actually peanut butter flavoured beer? Uh, Maggie's favourite is the one shown called Purple Haze. I mean, that looks like something that, you know, would pour down the drain out of a nuclear plant. Um, uh, Dr. Tora is saying, oh, this is nutter butter. Okay, the peanut butter lover's cookie. I think you just do peanut butter a lot more in the States than we do over here. You can buy peanut butter, but it's literally a jar of peanut butter. I'm all this stuff. I'm completely lost. Um, Purple haze sounds psychedelic. Well, that's exactly. Okay, psychedelic's a bit better than nuclear waste, but you get the general idea. Dr. Torres, Jimi Hendrix died at 27. Do I need to know this? Um, Have I missed something? Oh, is it today? Okay, sorry. All these, all these cultural references you make, I feel like I'm being, you know, I feel like I'm walking through a room with sort of tripwires all over the place. I never know where I'm going to fall. Um, okay, so this is an honour. This is an honour of Jimi Hendrix, is it? Okay, Maggie, that looks, um, is that really jam? Jam flavoured beer. Oh dear, oh dear. Yes, this is this is getting really terrible. Um, Jacqueline, we have our little local brewery. We have our own mugs. My grandson even has a little mini mug. He gets most his root beer in. Now, root beer, I think, is what we would call ginger beer. Yeah. King cake soda beer. Do people actually drink this? This one is diabetes in a bottle. I bet it is. Jacqueline is saying we have a peanut butter and banana brown ale that's really good. <laughs> okay, okay. Don't deny before you try. Um, I don't think that's even available in this country, so I can't try. So I will keep my mouth shut. Um, uh, the King Dude. Oh, no, sorry. Uh, Purple Haze is a wheat beer infused with raspberries. Not jam flavoured. The raspberry is very subtle. Do you know I could possibly manage that? Because I do like novelty novelty ciders, but cider is quite sweet anyway. Um, you know, I, I'm, some some ciders are quite dry. The, the sort of the sort of cider that you know labourers used to drink in the West Country from you know Demijohns would, would have been pretty rough. But the sort of ciders you get now are quite sweet. Um, and I am very fond of pear cider because it is really sweet. Apple cider, you know, original apple cider is great. Pear cider is pretty good. Mixed berry cider, um, I'm slightly less keen on, and strawberry and lime cider. It's it's verging on heresy, but it is quite refreshing in the summer. Um, Dr. I'm messing with the king dude about his beer choice. I'm responding to his posts with tomfoolery. Thank you. I think I sort of understand. Yes. So, okay, the American beer is a good deal more interesting than I was expecting. It is also National Breadstick Day and National Navy Day. 
Um, anyway, now, I know there are some former naval officers and some former sailors who sign into the chat room. Are you out there? Do you, do you salute the Navy on this day? I should probably, I should probably um, say a prayer for all those in peril on the sea since my grandfather was a sailor. There is more flavoured beer appearing in the chat room. I've started something. It's always food. It's always food that gets people started. Maggie's saying the Purple Haze is my favourite flavoured beer from Abita, but the Boot beer they make just for their home state is my favourite. That looks really funny. The Boot is not flavoured. I was trying to work out what it would be flavoured. It would have some nice sort of leathery kind of texture to it. There we go. So no, the, the Navy is important. Sailing on the sea is important. I think we should remember all those who are at sea. It's been pointed out. We have a, something very, a very beautiful charity. It's run by the or run from the Bishop's Conference over here called the Apostleship of the Sea. And every year they do a, an appeal on Sea Sunday. They do an appeal in our church and in churches all around the country. And it's pointed out that a significant proportion of the world's sailors are Catholic. And that is just a fact. They, there's a huge, hugely overrepresented uh, minority in in the navy, and that is Catholics. And so that's why the apostleship of the sea is so important, ensuring that there is um, there is plenty of uh, opportunities for sailors to receive the sacraments. That there is help available for sailors when they get injured or ill. Um, it's actually a very very beautiful apostolate so I, I always i've got a very soft spot for those who are at sea because i think it's it's a very very tough life really tough life um our dr torres is saying uh, the best beers are still made by the germans they've been doing it for a thousand years who can beat them well indeed but the boot is a lager made and sold exclusively in louisiana brewed in the boot for the boots there we go and Denny Sam saw Jimi Hendrix in concert right up front too. You'll have to tell us more about that after the break. Anyway, it's just time for an ad break. There's me chatting away as always. Our call-in telephone number is 844-527-8723. That's 844-527-8723. And the chat room is open for your commentary as well at crusadechannel.com forward slash chat. Do talk to me, do join the conversation. The early show will continue in a few moments here on the Crusade Channel. Live talk radio, the way it should be. The Fury's bar, the Tansy's pub, the hole in the wall as well. Oh, one thing you can be sure of, it's Charlie's beer they sell. So come on all me lucky lads, 11 o'clock she stops. Five short seconds, remember Charlie. The name of Charlie Mops, and he invented a wonderful thing to be made it out. Hurry, what's a bean in that gorilla, Sultan or a king? And to his praises, we shall always sing. And look what he has done for us, he filled us up with cheer. Along this Charlie Mops, the man who invented beer, 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 tiddly, beer, 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 
Good morning, all you early risers and insomniacs, and those of you catching the show's rebroadcast at midday. For those of you just joining us, you are listening to The Early Show with your hostess from across the pond, Fiorella de Maria. Our call-in telephone number is 844-527-8723. That's 844-527-8723. And the Crusader Stadium chat room is open for your commentary as well at crusadechannel.com forward slash chat. Do talk to me. Do join the conversation as you enjoy um, an abstemious breakfast of beer or something like that. I'm amazed I haven't been fired yet. I'm encouraging you all to get absolutely plastered on beer before the sun's even come up. I love the songs. Okay, I'm not complaining about dreadful dreadful music this morning. I, I suddenly, I feel like dancing. Um, but then I probably need to be slightly drunk to be able to do it these days. Anyway, as you've probably gathered, if you missed the first segment, we have been talking about National American Beer Day. And I was asking what an Earth American beer really is, what makes it different to other beers. I have seen some abominations to the brewing industry. Flavoured beers, peanut butter flavoured beer. Who thought of that? Um, and some other beers that look like they could be quite, uh, quite interesting. Um, and the observation that it was German brewers who have made and continue to make the best beer in America. It is also National Breadstick Day, if anyone is fascinated by Grissini and those lovely little snacks you have while you're waiting for your pasta to arrive. And National Navy Day. So I think we should salute anyone who works at sea. It's a hard life. Worst things happen at sea every day. So um, Jacqueline is saying is that beer was invented by the monks who fasted every day until dark. Some incredibly good alcohol is made in monasteries, I have, I have discovered, particularly beer. There's, there's a beer that's made by the Trappists uh, in uh, – it's, it's in Britain. It's up in, up in the north, I think. And it ended up being advertised inadvertently on the BBC. There was an article about it and how this beer had really captured the imagination. And – People went wild for it. I mean, they get sales now from New Zealand, Australia, I and mean, right across the world. Um, this uh, this incredible beer. But the abbot did point out, you know, obviously we will try to increase capacity for demand, but we are first and foremost a place of prayer. Um, we we are not a brewery with a, a monastery attached. Uh, but it was good beer. And then, besides beer, you also have um, some liqueurs as well. Um, Green chartreuse is the most potent alcohol I have ever drunk. I don't think I would be able to speak if I drank that on a regular basis. Uh, but it, it's, just, it's an interesting observation, that, and I think it's rather rather an endearing one, that some really, really good beer and, um, and cider, and that has come from monasteries. In fact, in my Father Gabriel mysteries, because it's a West Country monastery, it's, it's supposed to be Wiltshire, they, make their, they have orchards, they have an apple orchard, and they make their own cider. Which is, a, which is a very West Country thing to do. Um, Denise M., who went to see Jimi Hendrix live in concert once, um, it's he. what I remember most is he noted that it was almost Mother's Day, so he invited anyone who wanted to be a mother to meet him in his dressing room. <laughs> I'm not sure in the post-Me Too climate that would happen. Um, oh, Joe, London, UK, is 
reminding me of I said that not many good things happened today I've been talking about things that happened in history yesterday uh, just because today's list of historical dates are pretty pathetic um, you know the sailing forth of uh, William the Conqueror to come and bash England and stuff like that but Joe has reminded me of yet another very very sad anniversary of the 27th of October and that is the Abortion Act anniversary um, and there is a solemn witness to the tragedy of abortion in Parliament Square uh, starting in the next 15 minutes um, there's a slogan there's a poster here the slogan says abortion destroys the freedom to live and Joe uh, said, I'm on my way to the event. If I can, I'll try and call to give a live account. Joe, please do that if you can. Just call on Skype um, and or you know, whatever's easiest or, you know, or send me a little message on WhatsApp and I'll add you to Skype so you can give us a live account of what is happening. Really interested to know what's going on. Um, Jacqueline has a picture here of aha, the draft list. My favourites, Beastwood and El, El Haif. Hef, how do I say that? Um, Maggie, that song is hilarious. We used to only have cups of tea. Now we have beer. Well, there we go. Um, the King Dude saying, I'll have a Woosa Ruckus Brown Ale. Jacqueline, bingo at the brewery every Thursday is a highlight of our week. Friends and family and beer. That sounds so much fun. That really does sound like good fun. I'm, I'm so glad you've got a nice little brewery nearby. That's what I like to see. This is the, the, the main complaint that's been made about the pub culture in Britain because the, the pub culture is a really, really big part of, of life in, in Britain. It's Every town has multiple pubs. Every village has a pub. It's where traditionally men went at the end of a long day just to relax over a pint before they went home. But increasingly, it's become somewhere anyone goes. But pubs are closing all over the place. And one of the complaints is it's the big breweries um, that they've, they've bought up all the pubs so you can only serve beer made by whatever Heineken or, or whatever and it means that the small breweries find it harder and harder to find places that will sell their beer but also the big breweries they're not interested in communities and the, you know the purpose of the pub in that particular area so if it's not making enough money they'll just close it and there are a lot the sad sight of an awful lot of closed pubs and crumbling pub buildings all over Britain today um Paul C, good morning. All beer talk. Looks like no work will get done today. Well, this is it. I think if we're starting the day with beer, it's going to have to be a relaxed day. Let's face it, it's a Friday. I don't know about you. Have you had a busy week? My week has been exhausting. and It's not over yet because my children do this ice show at Christmas. The half-term break is not a break at all. They're at the rink every single day for hours rehearsing this show. And yesterday, I think they were on the ice in total for five hours rehearsing all the different numbers I and mean, they were shattered at the end of the day and frankly I was shattered from pacing around the ice rink and the leisure centre and all the endless toing and froing so yes it's been an exhausting week so I think this is definitely the day to talk about beer for view during the break thank you Dr Torres um, that song made me think of this old skit. It's hilarious, especially when the Asian lady learns the white man's family originally came from England. Hello, Governor. 
Yes, I bet it is funny. I will I will watch it um as soon as I've done crosstalk and everything like that. That'll be that'll be lovely, just waiting for me. In anticipation of Joe giving us an account of what's happening in Parliament, it may encourage you. I don't know how you will take this to know that in Britain there's been a certain increase in interest in the American pro-life movement. I was astonished some time ago to see a very long profile, I mean, really long, long detailed profile of Kristen Hawkins on the BBC website. The BBC have actually taken the trouble. There's a photograph of her and um, an interview with her and you know, explaining the origins of her organisation, Students for Life of America, SFLA, it was years before her organisation, Students for Life of America, would become one of the largest, most influential anti-abortion groups in the country. And they're sort of they're looking at her and uh, at her work. And it's, you know, it's a bit of a, I would say it's a, a hatchet job because it does convey her passion, her dedication, uh, the fact that she started from, well, she, she started, I think she was actually living in a trailer at one point. Um, because you know she couldn't afford to live in the area she had her office and her relentless campaigning um, but then of course because this is the BBC and anyone who's anti-abortion is always a problem it was um, pro-choice advocates say her activism since then has already helped cut off abortion access for around 20 million women and pushed the country into a public health crisis so Kristen Hawkins is to blame for any health problems you have in the US. She's caused a public health crisis, apparently. Um, but putting aside the incredibly twisted message the BBC give, because you will never get a completely balanced um, article about a pro-life ad advocate anywhere in the mainstream press. What interests me about this is that the media are obviously worried there is a time no one would have cared about Kristen Hawkins over here. Why would anyone be interested in a student group, what would be regarded as some glorified, oversized student group and some woman, you know, uh, living in a trailer? But they are clearly really interesting and interested in what's happening. And this is a really very detailed analysis. So I just would like to say... Those of you involved in pro-life activism in the States, keep at it because you are annoying the opposition enormously. And I always feel if you're annoying the opposition, it's because you're doing something right. They know that people like Kristen Hawkins are to be watched out for. Um, oh, here we go. Those um, Torres saying, if I were ever someone... If I ever ask someone where he's from and he says Louisiana, I think I'll, he, I think I'll start talking like a Cajun and craving fried frog legs, a bowl of turtle soup and a trip gator hunting. Everyone will be a walking stereotype. Uh, the King Dude saying, I have interviewed Kristen Hawkins half a dozen times on the Crusade Channel and on Sirius XM. What was she like as an interviewee? Well, you'll tell me all about it, no doubt, in Crosstalk. Uh, Foghorn saying good morning Crusaders returning from Universal Studios Florida earlier this week in the line of the conversation I had a surprisingly good um, hang on 
Duftebersbier. If I said that right, in the park. There we are. Yes, let's keep talking about beer, shall we? Let's just a beer, beer and breadsticks. No one seems to be too interested in the breadsticks. I notice more people wish to give their threepence worth about beer than breadsticks. I happen to think breadsticks are a really, really great invention, particularly when you're trying to keep small children occupied. What is this? Okay, this is the this is the beer, is it? Duff. Okay, it was a good beer, was it? Yeah. So I, I just it interests me that they they're taking her so seriously and and they're even though they clearly hate what she's doing and are determined to spin it as negatively as possible. Throughout that article, there is this tone of grudging admiration. It is grudging admiration, but there is just that little tone of, okay, okay, so she's really dedicated. Okay, you know, she, she knows what she's doing. She's managed to start this tiny organisation and made it into a huge force for change. Okay, yes, all right, all right, you know... Um, there's a woman doing something. It is 55 minutes past the hour. You are listening to The Early Show with your hostess from across the pond, Fiorella de Maria. If you've missed the show so far, never fear. You can get the whole of The Early Show as a podcast, same day, from crusademax.com. And just to recap, we have been talking about today mostly beer. Sorry to lower the tone. I'm sure it'll get very highbrow and sober once the King Dude gets started. But we are talking about beer because it is American Beer Day. And I'm learning a lot about American beer. Um, Dr. Torres is saying, does does root beer count? I'm not sure if it does. Well, we call it ginger beer. um, And ginger ale is slightly different. So, no, I'm not sure it does count. um, But I am very fond of ginger beer. I like the fiery feeling. It's just a bit more interesting than, you know, lemonade or something like that. Another weird thing I had cravings for during pregnancy. I'm amazed I'm still capable of drinking it. So, okay, let's allow root beer. I'm feeling generous this morning. Let's allow root beer. So, yes, we're talking about beer. It is also National Breadstick Day. No one has expressed an opinion on breadsticks. I think I found the one subject about which crusaders have no opinion, and that is breadsticks. Okay, here's a question. Do you call them breadsticks or grissini? There we are. And do you have them different flavours? Let's see if we can't start a raging argument about breadsticks. Um, It's also National Navy Day. Let's salute those who are at sea. It's a tough life. A really, really difficult life. My grandfather was in the Navy, but I'm sure most people have a grandparent, have a grandfather who is in the forces. But he had a very good time in the Navy, tragically died young, but he got to sail all around the Mediterranean um, well before the war started. So let's remember those at sea. Also talking about Kristen Hawkins getting a great big long profile on the BBC website. Can't believe the BBC is so interested. This is a good thing. Keep up whatever you're doing because you are really, really annoying the little cotton socks off the liberal media over here. They are very, very keen to know how on earth the pro-life movement has kept going in the state and has had successes um, and are desperately, I think, pretending to be balanced about the whole subject whilst secretly fuming. I gather Kristen Hawkins has been on the Crusade channel before, which is wonderful um, quite a few times. It is, of course, tragically the anniversary of the Um, establishing of the Abortion Act here in Britain. Um, The Abortion Act of 1967 
legalised abortions in many circumstances under certain conditions, but it did in effect open the door to abortion on demand. Contrary to popular belief, abortion was not banned before 1967 in Britain. There were certain circumstances where abortions could be legally carried out. However, David Steele's bill, um, his abortion bill, radically altered the landscape when it came to abortion. It made abortion much, much more readily available. And it was supposed to be with a lot of safeguards. This is where beware of any politician who tells you that there will be safeguards. Because the idea was it would only be under certain very limited circumstances. There had to be two doctor's signatures um, to make absolutely sure that this this abortion was really necessary, in inverted commas. And there was a conscientious objection clause, so you didn't have to be involved with abortion if you didn't want to. In effect, none of those safeguards really helped. When it came to conscientious objection, the law was just interpreted more and more and more narrowly so that the only way you could register a conscientious objection was to actually performing the procedure, sticking the instruments in. Nurses did not have that clause. Midwives did not have that clause. Pharmacists did not have that clause. Anyone else involved with abortion did not have the right to say no. It has caused a great deal of heartache to many pro-life people working in medicine. And of course, the so-called conditions never really applied. There were always stories of abortion facilities which had stacks and stacks of pre-signed forms. They're pre-signed by doctors who never went anywhere near the patient. There were all sorts of ways in which they just got round things to create a culture of abortion on demand. Um, oh, here we go. Right. I, I was asked a question about root beer. Um, does it count? And, and apparently Philip is saying ginger beer is different from root beer. Um, I think, is it possible that what you understand to be ginger beer is different from what we understand to be ginger beer? Ginger beer and ginger ale are different things over here. I think ginger ale is actually alcoholic. Ginger beer is, you know, it's, it's something that kids drink. Well, I drink it as well because I'm a big kid, but, um, it's a, it's a it's a very spicy, fiery, ginger flavored drink. Um, is that not root, what root beer is? Okay, maybe maybe it's something different. Maggie saying, "I like breadsticks. They just can't hold a candle to beer." Well, let's face it. Given a choice, would you like a beer? Would you like a breadstick? You would go for the beer, wouldn't you? Um, the King dude said breadsticks are popular because of a chain restaurant called Olive Garden. How lovely. Okay, and I'm guessing that's an Italian restaurant, is it, Olive Garden? Uh, Jacqueline saying, who cares about breadsticks when you can have garlic knots? See, beer needs pretzels. I've never been a big fan of pretzels, but um, yes, gar garlic bread. Really do like some garlic bread. Um, Scotty Bobby saying, I like Olive Garden breadsticks, but prefer the crispy breadsticks best. Okay, so there are different varieties of breadstick. It wasn't just my imagination. Falkhorn, not your father's root beer. Very good over vanilla ice cream. Really? Beer over vanilla ice cream? Oh, dear. Uh, Scotty Bobby, sounds like Bill Clinton's safe and rare. Well, this was exactly it. That, that, that was the lie. The idea that um, I believe abortion should be safe and rare. It is a huge lie, and it's one that's been spouted out by 
the abortion industry since the very beginning. And so many people just have not learned that lesson. It was never intended to be rare. It was never, ever, ever intended to be rare. And someone like David Steele towards the end, he eventually got disgraced over some scandal, but he latterly was saying, oh, you know, I didn't intend it to be this way, you know, didn't intend, you know, we we know so much more about the fetus now and all of this. I think David Steele knew exactly what he was doing. I think they all knew exactly what they were doing. I don't believe they were so naive. Um, Maggie saying, a beta make a delicious root beer. Okay, so what is root beer then? If it's not ginger beer, what is root beer? Um, Maggie saying, a beta root beer is made from a hot mixed process using spring water, herbs, vanilla and yucca which creates foam. Okay, this is completely different. And okay, it's not what I thought it was. Unlike most soft drink manufacturers, Abita sweetens its root beer with pure Louisiana cane sugar. The resulting taste is reminiscent of soft drinks made in the 1940s and 50s before bottlers turned to corn sugar and fructose. Some soft drink makers add caffeine to their product, but Abita is naturally caffeine-free. Add a scoop of vanilla ice cream for an old-fashioned root beer float. Abita root beer can also be used in cooking to create delicious glazes and sauces, as well as cakes and other desserts. Or you can keep it simple. Just pour it into a a frosty mug and slurp loudly through a straw. I think I might pass on the slurping, but it sounds like it could be really quite delicious. Okay. Um, Philip said, we will have all three, ginger ale, beer and root beer. None of them are alcoholic. Okay. Um, I don't think I've ever had ginger ale before, so maybe I just assumed it was alcoholic. There we are. I'm not really the best person to be running a commentary about beer, frankly. I, I've thrown myself in at the deep end as usual. Maggie, this is great. Root beer. There it is. Okay. Oh, and Philip's got pictures of Freddie ginger beer, root beer and ginger ale. There we go. So what is the difference between ginger beer and ginger ale then, if one of them is not alcoholic? You see, it creates more questions. Every answer creates more questions. It's um, it's terrifying. Um, but yes, do please say a prayer for Joe and all the others who've gone to Parliament, to Parliament Square in London today to make a silent protest remembering the millions of lives lost through abortion since 1967. This was the day, 27th of October, when the Abortion Act was established in law. Um, Denise, I'm saying I'd love to try the Anita Root beer, but I don't think it's available around here in East Tennessee. Okay, so you you have regional beers as well as nationwide beers. Okay. Paul C is saying, Verna's ginger ale from Detroit is the most unique. Great for making a Boston cooler. Ginger ale vinegar ice cream float. Um, Maggie saying, ginger beer was originally an alcoholic brew made from fermenting ginger, sugar and water. Although most commercial ginger beers nowadays are non-alcoholic. Ginger ale is a non-alcoholic sweetened ginger flavoured soft drink. Ginger beer is a stronger tasting and spicier than ginger ale but less carbonated. Okay. All right. Now Philip is saying ginger beer is about twice the ginger flavour as the ale. All right. I think ginger ale might be a bit too, um, too mild for me. 
then in that case okay there we are but um and, and, and i now know what root beer is uh, we don't really get root beer here as far as i know but ginger beer is pretty is pretty popular ginger beer you always associate it with children's books like the famous five find things in norfolk and they sit and, and drink lashings of of ginger beer with with uh, uh, with belgian buns or chelsea buns and um all sorts of lovely goodies like that and aniseed balls um it's just a stereotype but ginger beer makes me think of sort of 1950s children's picnics and stuff like that but i do like it very much i was also talking about this bizarre question i was asked the other day are you a person of color do you regard yourself as a person of color because of course you are but um do you see yourself that way and making the point that it, it seems to me we have gone completely backwards in terms of the way we view one another because identity politics has divided people in a way that they just weren't divided before. Um, I also tried to make the point, and this sounds like an absurd detail in many ways, but what, nobody ever stops to consider that your colour actually changes. This may seem strange, but for a start, the colour you are as a child may in fact be a little bit different to the colour you are as an adult. People do get fairer or darker. Um, when I was a very young child, I looked Asian. I had very thick jet black hair, straight hair. And my younger sister was a strawberry blonde with blonde, soft blonde curls of hair. We didn't even look as if we were the same race, let alone that we were sisters. We, we were completely different colours. As I got older, I got fairer. My hair took on a slightly more dark brown, very faintly red colour, um, and my skin tones changed. And my sister got darker, a lot darker. So now when you see us together, she's still fairer than me, but there's very little difference. Where There was a huge difference when we were children. But besides that, during the year, my skin colour changed. In the height of summer... In the middle of August in Malta, I was black, basically. I never understood why people called me the N-word until I saw a photograph of what I looked like in the middle of the summer. My, I, my skin was so, so deeply tanned. By Christmas, I was about five or six shades lighter. Um, and we don't really tend to think about that. You know, could I say, was, was I a person of colour in the summer and slightly less of a person of colour in the winter? It's stupid! It's just silly to categorise a person by the colour. I never did as a child, and I, I refuse to see why I should have to now. Um, back to ginger beer. Ginger beer, yay. Erin Akima, I make my own ginger beer, and it does have some alcohol because it's naturally fermented. Of course, yes, I suppose. And King Dude, ginger beer plus simple syrup plus two jiggers Elijah Gray Craig Bourbon equals a Kentucky mule. That sounds quite like it would have quite a kick. Um, Paul C, I'm a person of colour if pasty white is a colour. Uh, Scotty Bobby saying, usually my skin is pale red. Um, this, is, <laughs> this is it. At what, point, at what point does something count as colour? Um, Philip saying, does colourful language count? Uh, oh, I think it should, really. Erin Akima saying, that's my sister and I. She's always been darker. We don't look like siblings. Yeah, and, and it does happen. And the funny thing is, in the case of my sister and I, we're not even mixed race. It's not as if the genes sort of express themselves differently. Well, they did express themselves differently, but both my parents are Maltese, but they just, their ancestry will be different. My mother's ancestry is European. My father's ancestry is North African. Um, so th that's the 
that is the difference. Um, and, you know, that genetics is a, is a funny thing. Um, I was just thinking, in fact, talking about, you know, pasty white and my skin is pale red. I don't know if you've ever seen the film Cry Freedom. It's a, a stunning film about the South African anti-apartheid activist Steve Biko, who died in prison under suspicious circumstances, and the white journalist uh, Donald Donald Adams, who fought for him and was eventually forced to flee the country. And there's a moment where Steve Biko is in court. He spends a lot of his life in court for organising illegal protests and things. And at one point, the... Uh, the judge is asking him about the Black is Beautiful campaign. And he says, oh, if you don't mind me saying, why do you why do you call yourself black? You look more brown to me. And C. Beaker says, well, well, my lord, uh, why do you call yourself white? You look more pink to me. And the judge says, well, that's rather my point, really. Um, and it's, it's an interesting moment because it's one of the few laughs that gets raised in the entire film. It's it's a very it's a really harrowing film. But he's making a point in some ways both categories are ridiculous. Um, Philip saying, my family on both sides is French Canadian heritage. My maternal grandmother's parents almost didn't let her marry my grandfather because he got so dark in the summer. They thought he was Portuguese. That would have been forbidden. Lucky he was able to prove he was a Frenchie. <laughs> That's interesting. Um Yes, it's it's one of those it's one of those funny things. That I suppose how you how you identify it's, it's a very it's a very false concept because I can't identify as something I'm not, and this is one of those very very fundamental points that we've completely lost as a society. That it's just and in fact, guess what? I don't have to identify as anything. That's not the way it works. What really saddened me and angered me reading this article about this literary, um, literary, in fact, it wasn't a publisher, it was an agency saying they didn't want stories about white, able-bodied Second World War evacuees, but black evacuees or disabled evacuees would be fine. That really is quite an insult because it's losing any sense of what, what Britain was like in 1940. And the sad fact is... The majority of those little children who were evacuated from London to save them from the Blitz were from the east end of London. They were very, very poor. They were the poorest of the poor. And in fact, their story is very interesting because you had these children from the east end, from the slums, being bundled onto trains and taken out to the countryside. And in some case, cases, living uh, not just in middle-class families, and but also in stately homes and in posh boarding schools that have been requisitioned for the purpose. And they suddenly got a, a glimpse of a completely different life. They were able to wash every day. They had clean clothes. They were deloused they had enough to eat um, and, and good food and healthy food. They had beautiful gardens to run around in. They had comfortable rooms. They had a bed to themselves. They suddenly saw the squalor they were living in. And it was one of the things that was pointed out was a major catalyst for change after the war when those evacuees grew up and wanted to campaign for change to get people out of poverty. So 
those so-called white able-bodied evacuees, their stories were important. They don't need any gimmicks. They were important. Um, Denise Sam said, my family's, my husband's family is French-Canadian. His first language was French. After 35 years of marriage, I still wait for that occasional English word when he talks to his mother. <laughs> um, yes, it's, it's funny um, when you've got one person in a marriage who is bilingual i i don't know how it's i don't know how it changes the dynamic but i remember my husband when um we, we were we were engaged at the time we weren't married we were at a wedding and there was a couple there who were italian and they didn't speak any english or very, very little english anyway and i do speak some italian even though i'm not a native italian speaker at all um and so i was having to practice my italian so i was speaking in italian and afterwards my fiance said oh you sound really different when you're speaking in Italian. You know, your your facial expressions are different. Your gestures and mannerisms are different. I think when you're speaking in another language, it kind of unleashes a, a different part of your personality that doesn't usually come out. Um, and I wonder if that's that's ever an issue in a marriage. It's just it's a curious it's a curious thought. Um, but the fact is, these days, I mean, there are so many mixed marriages. Um, I, I find it incredible when I think that I interviewed. Um, a woman, an elderly woman, who was the first mixed marriage in my town. Um, she married a Kenyan, and this was a huge deal, a massive thing, white woman marrying a black man. Now, over here, we wouldn't think twice about it. Mike, are you there? Are you there with your root beer? Yeah, oui, oui, madame, oui, oui madame. Tu parles français et tu parles Italia? Mm-hmm. Oui. Italian. Italia. Um, yeah. Tu manges Italia? Um, oui. Uh, pizza? <laughs> pizza? Pizza? Uh, pizza, spaghetti. Non. Non, non, non. Je parle, je parle pizza. Non, pizza. Oh, listen, I think this is one of those things. <laughs> it's one of those things that's never, ever going to be sorted out. Um, it's fun. I'm, I'm, it's fun though, that you and I can uh, that. Uh, it is fun. Yes. With my uh, with my ongoing uh, French training, I'm 160 words in my vocabulary now. That's uh, that, great. That, <laughs> you actually understood what I was saying. That's just miraculous to yes. me. That's <laughs> yeah, wonderful. It's, it's an exciting moment. It is exciting. When, I yeah, get when excited. You, suddenly right, you can be understand. <laughs> yes, yeah, and, and I, I wasn't going to say it. It has been pointed out in the chat room. Your French is terrible, King Dude. Yes. It will get better. It, I understood you. Yes. Yeah? Well, you, you, you had to hurt. Uh, they have a very unique way of pronouncing words. Yeah. I, I met a French tutor at a at a conference a couple of years ago, and she told me if you want to learn French, you have to learn to. She said you have to learn to gargle. And I said, "What yeah. do you mean?" And she goes, "Okay, let's talk." Yes. Yeah, I've and never really got the hang of that, to be honest. Yeah, well, if you listen to the uh, uh, well, well, go into the French section on Duolingo and listen to how that there's <laughs> there's six seven voice actors that do all the uh, that do all the the speaking, mm -hmm. and uh, now, now there's uh, there, there's a couple of them that they put in there that speak real slow, so uh, and it, it, it's easy so it's easier to mimic their accent. But yeah. the ones that are really challenging are the ones that speak in real time. Because, like, when yeah. we're watching a, a TV show that's made in Spain, um, mm -hmm. it's called 30 Pieces. 
And it's a very, well, it's about Judas. It's about, was there an apocryphal gospel of Judas and uh, are the bad guys out there looking for the relics that were the 30 pieces of silver? Okay. So evil relics are 30 pieces of silver, which kind of makes sense. Um, But the whole thing is is in Italian. (laughs) And okay. Yes. Yes. So, so it's, Span- it's Spanish, but it's in Italian. I, I mean, I mean, it's in Spanish. It's, it's oh, all, sorry, sorry. Okay, sorry. It's okay, all okay, subtitled. But yeah. by the time you get to the third or fourth episode, you start. To, you 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 don't understand it, but because you know the actors. Yeah. <laughs> you, with the intonation, you can you can almost you can almost under because you know the scenario now you can almost kind of yeah. start picking up on words and understand. It's all about immersion. If I if I were to really devote, devote myself to this and do two hours of training a day, I'd have this sussed, as you English say. Yeah. I'd have this sussed in three months. Yeah, no, I think immersion is the way to go. It's it's definitely, um, and you'll you'll get there anyway. Duolingo is a pretty good language tool. Well, I I do almost an hour a day. Yeah, that, that's that's good. I mean, do you see those things on Duo? You know, um, people who do half an hour a day are twenty times more likely to finish their course and that sort of thing. And I will also say to those that say that my French stinks, uh, there's three <laughs> components. There's reading, there's speaking, and there's writing. I can read a newspaper in French now. Yeah, that's great. So my speaking, it may stink, but <laughs> I can <laughs> certainly read it. <laughs> it's funny, it's the other way around. My daughter has spoken French is excellent. It's the, um, it's the writing she finds harder. See, I think young people, are, they take to, the, uh, to, to a new language, especially if you start them young. Well, this is it, I think. You know, they, it's just, I don't think they have the embarrassment Okay, so you have, have you've hit so many topics today. Let's let's talk about Kristen Hawkins for a moment. Yeah. Okay. So, so she's, she's been on the show. Tell me I, more about her. I met Kristen Hawkins. I actually met her at CPAC back in 2012, mm-hmm. and I don't remember the circumstances. But I'm like, you ought to come on the Mike Church show. And she said, I'd love to come on your show, and she did. And she she and um, and Marjorie Dannenfelser, who is the founder of the of um, uh, Susan B. Anthony List, uh, yeah. were, were both come on on the National March or the National Right to Life March Day. Mm-hmm. So you can count 2013, 14, and 15 on SiriusXM. 16 because it was a campaign year. I had Marjorie Dannenfelser on a half a dozen times because she ran Trump's. Uh, uh, the pro-life campaign, uh, uh, his his campaign to uh, to recruit pro-lifers to vote for him. Um, yeah. So in the interim, though, I probably interviewed Kristen Hawkins another three times. So I'm going to say I interviewed her about a half a dozen times. Um, it's just like the BBC story says, she just kind of committed to it. Yeah. And it just like gave up doing everything else. It's, it's, where, it's, where did it come from, though? Was she involved? Well, in she's student stu- she's president of Students for Life. Mm, but so did, it was on campus. Background? Yeah. Uh, to tell you the truth, I never really uh, asked her about that because uh, she did what she did on the in the campus of the school that she was going to, and I forget which one it was. Um, but they did write her up at the at the at the BBC, and they weren't very kind to her. No, well, they were never going to be. No. Um, but I'm going to tell you this. I don't know if you subscribe to the National Geographic, uh, but there is, Maggie can throw the story in the chat room. There is an amazing story in this month's issue of National Geographic 
that I think that I think tides are actually turning. These devout okay. this, here's the story under history and culture. These devout young Catholics are embracing the old ways. The movement embraces some old world traditions that even the church has referred to as backwards. So there's the backhanded compliment slap. But the story is actually very favorable. And they actually have a pair of people in uh, that are in the sto story that have been on the Crusade Channel. Okay. So Michael Thomas, Sharon, Michael Judice, and Brother Andre Maria. Brother's not in it directly, but he is at this event, and he is on the pilgrimage that they have photographs of. So this is a very flattering laying out. It's, it's photo uh, photographed in black and white. Very flattering laying out of how it is the young people that mm -hmm. are, the, are, are now the driving force behind the return in many Catholic parishes uh, around the world to sacred tradition. Yeah. To, to the old mass, and uh, 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 I don't know if your family says Angelus. Do you say Angelus at noon? Yeah, I say the Angelus. That's yeah. wonderful. Um, uh, and and you know to the uh, to the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the the old ways of dressing and the old uh, rituals. Have you ever seen a baptism in a Latin rite? No, I haven't. It's beautiful. It's probably the most beautiful thing. Uh, Father Fahey said. Or Father Faber said that uh, the the Catholic Mass is the most beautiful thing this side of heaven. I would just argue with Father just a little bit, and I and, and I bet Willie Doyle, Father Willie Doyle, would agree with me. A Catholic a baptism in the old rite is probably the most beautiful of the rites, um, because you know, you, especially with when it's a baby, because you're watching a saint being made. Yeah. Because once the baby is baptized, the original sin's gone. That's a saint. Yes. Until you know, give it until we corrupt them. Yeah. <laughs> but if you watch it in the old right, because you stay, you start at the back of the church. Yeah. And it's a it's a ten minute long exorcism. It's a mini exorcism, and the, the priest blesses the salt, blesses the water. He makes the holy water right there, and the blessed salt. And uh, then uh, you know, there's the first set of questions. Uh, do you wish to be baptized? Are there godparents present, etc.? And then you go to the front to 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 the uh, to the uh, the baptismal font, and then he continues and he does the chrism oil three times uh, on 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 the child's head, and uh, with the blessing with the water. Then he confirms mm -hmm. again with the godparents, um, and as you're watching this, you know just and then then and then they have you say the creed. As you're watching this, you know you just understand that. A, an actual living saint is is happening right right in front of your eyes, and Satan is losing one. Yeah, the bad guys are losing this one. They've as, as a matter of fact, if you call it a game today, <laughs> yeah. if a meteor falls on the church, have a prevent. Uh, there's at least one of them is going directly to heaven. Uh, that to me is just the most amazing. Uh, I, I, I weep like a little child every time I see it, and I'm oh. off in the wings because I, I'm. It's uh, at the time I would be making the announcement on Father's behalf at the side ambo, not at his, at the side ambo. So I, uh, I get a front row seat. I get to see them all. So I see how all of them. The National uh, Right to Life March Day. Mm -hmm. So you can count 2013, 14, and 15 on SiriusXM, 16 because it was a campaign year. I had Marjorie Dannenfelter on a half a dozen times because she ran Trump's, uh, uh, the pro-life campaign, uh, uh, his, his campaign to, uh, to recruit pro-lifers to vote for him. 
Um, so in the interim, though, I probably interviewed Kristen Hawkins another three times. So I'm going to say I interviewed her about a half a dozen times. Um, it's just like the BBC story says, she just kind of committed to it. Yeah. And it just like gave up doing everything else. It's, it, where, it, where did it come from, though? Was she involved? Well, in she's stu- she's president of Students for Life. Mm, but so where did, it was on campus. Yeah. Uh, to tell you the truth, I never really uh, asked her about that because uh, she did what she did on the in the campus of the school that she was going to, and I forget which one it was. Um, but they did write her up at the at the <laughs> at the BBC, and they weren't very kind to her. No, well, they were never going to be. No. Um, but I'm going to tell you this. I don't know if you subscribe to the National Geographic, uh, but there is, Maggie can throw the story in the chat room. There is an amazing story in this month's issue of National Geographic that I think that, I think tides are actually turning. These devout, okay. this, here's the story, under history and culture, these devout young Catholics are embracing the old ways. The movement embraces some old world traditions that even the church has referred to as backwards. So there's the backhanded compliment slap. But the story is actually very favorable. And they actually have a pair of people in uh, that are in the sto- story that have been on the Crusade Channel. Okay. So Michael Thomas is Sharon Michael Judice. And Brother Andre Maria. Brother's not in it directly, but he is at this event, and he is on the pilgrimage that they have photographs of. So this is a very flattering laying out. It's photographed in black and white. Very flattering laying out of how it is the young people that mm-hmm. are, the, are, are now the driving force behind the return in many Catholic parishes uh, around the world to sacred tradition. Yeah. To, to the old mass, and uh, uh, I don't know if your family says Angelus. Do you say Angelus at noon? Yeah, I say the Angelus. That's yeah. wonderful. Um, uh, and and you know to the uh, to the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the the old ways of dressing and the old uh, rituals. Have you ever seen a baptism in a Latin rite? No, I haven't. It's beautiful. It's probably the most beautiful thing. Uh, Father Fahey said. Or Father Faber said that uh, the the Catholic Mass is the most beautiful thing this side of heaven. I would just argue with Father just a little bit, and I and, and I bet Willie Doyle, Father Willie Doyle, would agree with me. A Catholic a baptism in the old rite is probably the most beautiful of the rites, um, because you know, you, especially with, when it's a baby, because you're watching a saint being made. Yeah. Because once the baby is baptized, the original sin's gone. That's a saint. Yes. Until you know, give it until we corrupt them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if you watch it in the old right, because you stay, you start at the back of the church. Yeah. And it's a it's a ten minute long exorcism. It's a mini exorcism, and the, the priest blesses the salt, blesses the water. He makes the holy water right there, and the blessed salt. And uh, then uh, you know, there's the first set of questions: uh, Do you wish to be baptized? Are there godparents present, etc.? And then you go to the front to 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 the uh, to the uh, the baptismal font, and then he continues and he does the chrism oil three times uh, on 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 the child's head. And uh, with the blessing with the water, then he confirms mm-hmm. again with the godparents. Um, and as you're watching this, you know, just and then then and then they have you say the creed. As you're watching this, you know, you just understand that a, an actual living saint 
is is happening right right in front of your eyes, and Satan is losing one. Yeah. The bad guys are losing this one. They've, as a matter of fact, if you call it a game today, <laughs> yeah. if a meteor falls on the church, heaven prevent, uh, there's at least one of them is going directly to heaven. Uh, that to me is just the most amazing. Uh, I, I, I weep like a little child every time I see it, and I'm oh. off in the wings because I, I'm. It's uh, at the time I would be making the announcement on Father's behalf at the side Ambo, not at his, at the side Ambo. So I, uh, I get a front row seat. I get to see them all. So I see how all of them. That has um, um, seriously changed the beer drinking landscape. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, I need to change the uh, clock. I keep forgetting that we're supposed to stop at seven at six twenty-five. Yeah, <laughs> we go. We start rabbiting away, and then suddenly, you know. Um, oh, by the way, the clocks go back um, um, in Britain at late uh, midnight on Saturday. So I'm going to have to remember that, or else there'll be a panic. So I'll be saying, if the clocks go back, does that mean I'm? Hang on, that means I'm on air at ten my time instead of eleven. That would be my deduction. Yes. <laughs> now, are we springing back? Are we you falling back? I thought we did away with daylight savings time in in in, in this country. Um, well, I think you don't do it at the same time. I think maybe we do it in the first weekend November. It's so silly. November fifth. November fifth. All countries should stop doing this. Yeah, it's, I don't know where. I mean, well, I know it came from the First World War, but that was a long time ago. Um, yes, I think. Um, yes, I, I always have about a week. When I'm my times change, I just have to remember. Yeah, and 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 then finally, you were talking about breadsticks and how people. <laughs> do you consider yourself a, a colored person? <laughs> if you catch me in the right summer, and if I've been mm -hmm. outside a lot, they probably would mistake or call me a colored person. No, it's, it's a person of color. A person of color. Yes. A person of color. I want to make yeah. sure I say it correctly. Yes, because the colored refers to um, segregation. Well, since I'm a person of color, I am immediately seeking reparations. Well, indeed. I don't know what for, but <laughs> just give me reparations. Yes, well, well, the children were asking me about this the other day. I said, you know, I'm I'm trying to develop a kind of post-colonial chip on my shoulder, but I just don't seem to have time. <laughs> well, you're in uh, you're in a unique situation now. Are you still a, considered a citizen of Malta? Or you're just a, a UK citizen. No, no, I'm dual national. So you are dual natural. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, that's it. And now Mr. Nash or Mr. De Maria is English. Yes, that's right. Okay. All right. So you are, in, in, in that respect, you are in a mixed marriage. Yes. <laughs> Whether you consider Malta as a person of color or not, just from your citizenship, you are yeah. in, a dual ma in, a, in a mixed marriage. So there you go. Yeah. Or as you like to um, say, so there we are. So there we are. <laughs> so yes. there we are. Um, um, well, we uh, hopefully uh, our, our back injury will be completely healed by Monday. And we can get back to our recording of the summons. Indeed. And it is the eve of Halloween Monday, meaning Fiorella is hosting. You remember you did those six suspense episodes for us a couple years back? 
Oh, yes. He was close. Well, the, it's called Turley's Terror Fest now because he did six. So uh, Why is it Turley's Terror Fest? <laughs> well, it was his idea. It was his idea to turn it into a radio festival. So why is it Turley's Terror Fest? Uh, in any event, beginning Monday afternoon at 4 p.m., uh, we uh, we run I think for four uh, for four hours and then on Halloween All Hallowed's Eve we run for six hours and of course uh, your favorite suspense you should talk about this on Monday your favorite suspense episode of all time is Wrong Number yes. It's really scary. Well, it is, and yeah. you know, I listened to it last year. I had never listened to the uh, to to the to the whole show. It mm. it really is. I mean, the the the, the kind of way they, they the the drama and the suspense is built up. Mm. And she's yes. such a good voice actress. She is. No, it's it's perfect as a sort of as a a short, suspenseful, and just devastating piece of drama. Yes, and it's, and it's like there's just one woman talking. Yes, so we collected. There's twenty uh, twenty uh, radio suspense horror dramas in total. Y'all can get the box set. I mean, we're giving it away for a ham sandwich. Uh, you know, Justin and I work really hard on remastering, and we, re, we you know we filter all the pops and clicks. Uh, out of the files, we turn them from mono files into stereo files. You know, we make them at, they're all, they all play at the same volume. So, you know, when you buy like uh, Joseph Pierce's Shakespeare Radio Film Festival or the Greatest Radio Drama Film Festival series or the Turley and DeMaria's Terror Fest Film Festival series. Turley and DeMaria sounds perfect <laughs> to me. Turley and DeMaria's Film Festival set. Uh, you're getting, you're getting modernized quality audio but it has golden age of radio content. And it's worth every single penny. So get it at shop.mikechurch.com. All right, we're, we're, we're going to have a, a beer a ale power rankings for the remainder of the day. Uh, we'll give you the results on Monday. Have a wonderful, blessed weekend. Don't work. Chill out. Tell your children that they need to take a chill pill and stop dragging you to the rink. Fat chance. They're there Saturday. They will be there part of the time on Sunday, but we will get most of Sunday off as a day of rest. Well, we you do that, and I'll see you uh, very rested, hopefully, and ready to roll on Monday. On Monday. Okay, have a wonderful weekend. It is 34 minutes past the hour. It's been my absolute pleasure, as always, to bring you the early show all the way from Chile, England. Don't forget to write to me at Fiorella at crusadechannel.com, and the chat room is open for your commentary at crusadechannel.com forward slash chat. I will now leave you with the King Dude, Mike Church himself. You're listening to the Crusade Channel, talk show radio the way it should be. Music.